Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Special guest, Jerry Gensler. Uh, if you came here this morning for a traditional Christmas story, or if you came here this morning to have some secret of the word open before your eyes, some new truth to be revealed, this is probably not your week. We're, we are not going to do that today, more than likely. We're going to review some points that we already know. But one thing I will not do this morning, I will not trash talk Santa Claus. That is not going to happen for me today. We're not going to do that. We'll leave that for other speakers at other times, but we're not, he's not here today, so I, that's an inside joke if you weren't here, but uh, we're not going to touch that today. We're going to get right to the Word. We're going to talk this morning about anticipation. Now, when we talk about anticipation this morning, we're talking about that feeling of excitement and uh, expectation, that feeling of anticipation. And there's many things in life that we anticipate. I mean, there's, there's, there's holidays. There's vacations. We, we look forward to those vacations from work, don't we? We think about them ahead of time. There's uh, time with family. There's activities that we enjoy doing, and we anticipate those things. And Christmas is one of those holidays that we anticipate. A lot of you are probably anticipating Christmas right now. It's a big holiday. It's a great time. It's a great time to be with family. I notice it's, it's great to have grandkids. That is a great time, Christmas. I think I enjoy Christmas with grandkids way more than I do with my own kids because you were, you were so worried with your own kids and you had to pay bills. and all. When you're a grandparent, there's a little bit more disposable income and uh, you don't mind dumping it on the, on, the, on the grandkids so much. So it's a great time. It's a great time to anticipate that. But my question for you this morning is, did you ever notice that we only anticipate those things that we desire? We only anticipate, look forward to the things that we really desire in life. I mean, I don't anticipate, as far as that excitement, the trip to the dentist office. I don't sit there and say, I got an appointment next week. Yes! Somebody with a metal hook is going to jab in my gums. I don't look forward to that. I don't anticipate that. And the question I have for you this morning as we get started, and I want to remind you, it doesn't do any good in our review times unless we're honest with ourselves with these questions. I mean, we're so good at deceiving ourselves and not being truthful with ourselves. But as I honestly ask you this this morning, does the thought of death, heaven, and eternal life, does that actually fill you with anticipation? Do we, do we really look forward to that? And the question is, if not, why is that? And if, if we do, why don't we live like that? Do we really have that sense of anticipation? Brother Jim, you made it. Good to see you here this morning. I know those roads are terrible out there. Um, the question is, why don't we? Why don't we sometimes have that feeling of anticipation as we think of death and eternal life? And if you're like me at all, I might have an answer for that. And one of the answers that I came up with for myself was, uh, when I grew up in a church, I grew up in a Christian home, well, I became a Christian home when I was young, and I went to a, a Christian church, and uh, it was a very legalistic home at the time, but my dad did the best he could. But one of my views of heaven, I'm going to give you my view of heaven as a young person. I viewed heaven as, uh, first you would die, of course, and then you would stand before God for the final shakedown. And, and what that was, was there was kind of like a screen like this, and we kind of reviewed all of your life a little bit, 
especially as a Christian, and we put up there all the things like Jesus is gonna say, well, here's where you denied me. Uh, here's where you didn't witness for me. Here's where you didn't go to the mission field with Brother Jim. Here's where you uh, didn't serve in church. You didn't do anything. You weren't in the choir. You didn't witness to your neighbors. And we went through this whole list of what we didn't do. And then after all of that, Jesus would say, all right, come on in. And you'd come in anyway. Then you'd get into heaven. And then we would all gather around the throne. Now, this is what I, I was taught this, actually. We would gather around the throne, and we will sing hymns. And we will sing that hymn till it's over, and then we'll sing the next one. And we'll sing that hymn, and we'll sing forever, never, 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 never. And I remember as a young person thinking, that's it? That's, that's the kingdom? That's the promise of God? That's what Jesus went around? That's what disciples were willing to die for? I thought, wow. I, I, you know, and, you know, I guess compared to the fires of hell, the, the, uh, the eternal sing-along, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, I guess compared to that, it was pretty cool, you know? And, and, and then they told me this. They said, well, you may not want to do that now, but when you get there, you will want to do that. You will want to sing forever and ever. Maybe it could be that our, our thoughts of heaven are really not that desirable. Maybe that's part of our problem this morning. So what I need you to do this morning, I need you to do me some favors. I need two, two big favors from you. First of all, I need you to take all your presuppositions, all your preconceived notions of eternal life, and for this morning only, please just try to set them aside as we, as we study Scripture. Just try to set it aside for now. You can pick it up later on and do what you want with it. But for now, I want you to set that aside. Number two, I want you to start this morning using your imaginations. Now, normally I teach middle school age kids, 12, 13, 14, and I never have to tell them to turn on their imaginations. Everything that comes through their ears runs through the grid of imagination, and they can play that picture out. They're great at it. They ask questions that I sit there and go, how did you think of that? It's because they have this constant imagination. Lena Becker is one of the best ones at that. Lena, everything that comes through her head, she imagines the picture and can ask an unbelievable question that no adult would ever think of. Now, some of you men, some of you older men that live in the world of rational thought and logic, you've got to turn on your imagination this morning, okay? We need to get that fired up. Sometimes it takes a while to get that going. It's fun to be in groups of, of older men. I, I I'm on, happen to be on the elder board, and it's always hilarious to me to sit back and observe older men try to be creative. That is probably the worst group you can have. For, I mean, it's funny to watch the reaction when somebody has a thought, you know? It's, it's like... We have this terrible dilemma, and we sit there, and someone has an idea, and then someone goes, he had an idea. Did you hear that? He had an idea. There's an idea right there. It's creative. He used, he, did you, can you hear? He had an idea. And it's just funny to see that take place, because most of the time, us adults don't use our imagination because we have to be serious and logical. But uh, once, once in a while, we come up with one on the board, and uh, it's just like, yeah, we'll get more chairs. That's what we'll do. We'll get more chairs. You know? <laughs> once in a while, we come up with one. But it's, it's, I need you this morning to come up with some, some imagination, Okay. So as we get into Scripture, now there's going to be three snapshots we're going to use today to look at where mankind was, where we are, and where we're headed as Christians. We're going to look at three snapshots. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the first two because I'm only presenting them this morning to, to put an accurate backdrop, an accurate picture of where we were and where we are. That's my only purpose in presenting them here this morning. We're going to hopefully camp out a little bit more on point number three because that's what we want to talk about this morning. So we're going we're gonna to speed up through here for the, the first two. 
And the first one is a beautiful beginning, and that's from Genesis 1 and 2. We start off mankind with a beautiful beginning as Genesis 1 and 2 shows us how God creates all things, and all things are declared good. Now, there's one thing that's not good, and that's man being alone, but God fixes that real quick. He produces a woman for man, and then everything is now good. And Roger has done an excellent job in the past presenting Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 for us. We're not going to spend any time on it this morning. The reason that they're good is because everything is the way God intended it to be. When things are exactly the way God wants them, they're good. That's the only time things are good, when things are the way God intended them to be. There's no death of any kind, no animal death, no people death. Everything is wonderful. Now, you're using your imaginations, right? You didn't turn that off already. Imagination's gone? Okay. I want you to get these pictures in your mind of the scripture as we, as we study this this morning. There's no sin. We can't even understand that one. We've never had a body, even for one second, that wasn't sinful. We never had anything, thoughts that came through that were from a, a grid of perfect sinlessness. We can't even understand that. But that's how Adam and Eve were here in the first, the beginning of man. Man is placed in a God-made paradise to be ruler of all created things. Man was created with a purpose. He was supposed to be ruler of the new creation. That's going to be important later on as we get in our study. He was supposed to be in charge of this. That's why he was created. As we read Genesis 2, we're not going to do that this morning, we find out that there's fruit-bearing trees of all kinds. This is the original farmer's market. I mean, he's stuck in this beautiful garden. God takes man. Not only does he create him, give him a home, he creates this incredible garden filled with every imaginable kind of fruit and vegetable, and everything's right at your fingertips. I'm sure there's things, I believe, in that garden that don't exist today. I'm sure this was... We have animals that don't exist anymore. I'm sure there was all kinds of fruits and vegetables and things that we don't even see today in this original garden. And they were right at your fingertips. You didn't have to do anything to get it. It's right there. God provided everything for us. And that's the way it was set up, the way it was intended to be. There was a, the tree of life was in the garden. I'm not going to get into the tree of life this morning. This tree was unique. It had some special powers to it, apparently, because God ends up guarding it later on with an angel. So we're not going to get into that. We're only going to talk this morning that it existed, that it was there in the garden. It's going to come into play later on. There's a river flowing through the garden. Again, we just start to paint that picture of this beautiful paradise that God has created for mankind, the way it was originally intended to be. And this perfect paradise is where man has no wants or unfulfilled needs. Imagine having, do you ever have a moment in your life where you have no wants or unfulfilled needs? It doesn't last very long, does it? You have all your wants maybe right at the moment, but then, you know, you're going to have some later on and more. Yeah, and then you wake up after the dream. Yeah. Well, that's how the garden was. There was no wants or unfulfilled needs. That's, the, that's where man was. That's the beautiful beginning where we started. And you got your imaginations picturing that right now. Okay. Let's get right into Genesis 3. And that, that leads us into a perverted present. The present that we see today is nothing like it was intended to be. And that starts with Genesis chapter 3, where man's sin brings the end of all things being good. No longer do we have things being good. We have some good things, but all things aren't good. And that's all because of man's sin. Of course, man sins. Man and woman are cursed. The uh, woman's curse is that she would have what? Pain in childbirth, and she would have desire to rule over her husband, but her husband will rule over her. That's a relational problem. Is there pain in childbirth, you women that went through that? Yeah. It's, and it's funny. I've seen animals give birth, and it's like it's not even any effort to them. I mean, it's, it's, I'm sorry for y'all, but that's, that's the curse that woman has. Man's curse is a little bit different. His curse is that his easygoing gardening is going to be replaced with burdensome labor. 
I mean, think about that for Adam. And think, use your imagination. He went from an original farmer's market where he could walk through and pick off anything he wanted. He's kicked out of that, and now he's got to start from scratch and try to find dinner. That's uniquely different. That's a big, and it's not going to be easy for him. I do some gardening on the time to help my wife in the spare time. And uh, it's, it's not easy. I got weeds and stuff trying to grow up through there and bugs. And it doesn't always work out the way I intended. My, and by the way, my wife made me clean up this morning. I'm still kind of bitter about that. <laughs> you know, you didn't see me last week, but I had this nice beard going on. She made me get a haircut and clean off the beard and dress up like Jim does. And uh, she's always trying to deny my inner hillbilly from revealing itself. And, and uh, if it wasn't for her, I, I probably would look like Bill Golden from the Oak Ridge Boys. If you don't know who he is, you're, then you're lucky. But uh, that's probably what I would look like. But uh, I noticed, as we look at this picture, that man's work changes dramatically. And also, death enters the world. Now, obviously, man, God was graceful, and he didn't give Adam and Eve death instantly like they thought they would get. But he... Death enters the world, not just for man, but also for animal kind. We've never seen an environment where animals weren't ripping each other apart, but that's what was, and man's sin changes all of that. It's not just that sin affects man, it affects everything. And that's what the scripture tells us. And that's where we're headed. Creation itself suffers along with mankind through no fault of its own. And this is a key verse for us this morning, as we're going to camp out on this a little bit. Romans 8, 19 to 22. We see creation itself suffers with mankind. I'm going to read that for you. It's on your paper. It's important enough. I put it right on your outline. Romans 8, 19 20 to 22. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. This is a dramatic change for the animal kingdom. We see this verse tells us that the whole, all of creation is suffering through the sin of mankind. Animal kingdom becomes survival of the fittest. Animals start ripping each other apart. I don't know if you've ever watched those documentaries, but there's something. I watch that. I'm, I'm a big outdoor person. I love the outdoors. I spend a lot of time out there. But when I watch a couple of wolves bring down a young deer and it's crying and moaning for its mother or whatever, something inside me says, that ain't right. That, that ain't right. That seems wrong. And the reason that is is because that's not, we always say, well, that's just natural. No, it's not. It's really not natural. It's, it's something that we brought into the world. Earth's climate's going to undergo some dramatic changes, some catastrophic changes. Of course, that's going to be after the flood of Noah, which really is part of the sin of mankind. God changes the earth dramatically. We go from this great environment that he created originally for man to these catastrophic changes which is going to be all the things that we have to deal with today. Earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, droughts, floods, all of that stuff. Is there anything more frightening than a tornado? I mean, I, I can't even imagine seeing one of those babies headed right for you. That's just terrifying. Well, that's not natural either. That's not the way God intended it to be. Our earth is undergoing some terrible changes, frightening things. Man was to be ruler and lord of all creation... He completely failed and brought the end of all things being good. Today, things are far from what they were or should be. We were supposed to be ruler of everything. We were supposed to subdue nature. That was the original intention. I spent a lot of time in the wild. I got to tell you, there's, I can't really subdue anything. I've tried to do, I mean, I've had two golden retrievers. I've subdued one of them. 
The other one is that you, you don't subdue him. He does what he wants to do. He listens occasionally. The other one, he did whatever you told him. Go out and try that this afternoon. Try to go out into the woods and subdue. In other words, everything's going to do what you tell it to do. Last Saturday, I hunted when it snowed. I was out hunting. And uh, it was one of those days where you see nothing. I mean, it was. And finally, I had a, a black-capped chickadee land in front of me. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. I have some entertainment. And I thought to myself, why don't you hang around here and say, and gone. I was, I was happy to see anything. And I thought I'd get a little entertainment from a little bird, but he wouldn't even listen to my thoughts, and off he went. We subdue nothing. We are ruler of almost nothing. That's the picture that we paint from all of this of where nature is with us right now. And here's the point, number three. This is an important statement for us this morning. This is the most important part of our first side of our outline. God's curse guarantees, no matter how hard we try or how clever our plans, we cannot arrange for the perfect life we desire. It can't be done. It cannot be done. In this life, so often I see people say, I don't know why all these things happen to me. I've been so, you know, I read my Bible when I go to church. And guess what? In this fallen world, God's curse guarantees you will never be able to live the perfect life you desire. You cannot do it. So many times we spend all this time trying to make this heaven, try to arrange everything, and we can't do it. We can't get it done. Try that this week. Try to make everything go the way you want it to and arrange no car breakdowns, nothing. Try to do it for a week. Try to do it for three days. God's curse guarantees it will not happen. It will not happen. Every man is frustrated in work. Every man. When I say frustrated, I mean not just that things aren't going the way we want, but we have to toil at it. It's not easy. We work, we strive, we have problems, we, can't, we try to fix things. I, can't, I can tell you right now, I can't go one or two days without being frustrated at work. That's just the way it happens. Try that. I mean, somebody's going to make me mad tomorrow, I'm sure. I'm sure of it. Because things don't go the way we want. Every woman will experience relational problems, frustration, relational heartache, and feelings of loneliness. Look, if the curse is just for women, pain in childbirth and problems with her husband, that means that every woman that doesn't get married and have kids escapes the curse. No, it's not. The curse is way more than that. The curse is a relational problem. You women, how many of your relationships go exactly the way you want them to? With your friends, your family, your husband? Everyone goes just the way you want. No problems. Impossible. You may have a great husband, but I guarantee there's times that it just doesn't go that great, does it? It's ebbs and flows in life. Every woman is frustrated in her relationships at some time. That's the curse of God. God makes us completely dependent on him and in search of something greater. Not only is it a punishment for us, the mankind, but he's also working in us to build a, some kind of dependency on him. We realize, if, we, if we're honest with ourselves, that there's got to be something better than this. This is not, this is not heaven. And if you've ever been, this is, this is what really stands out to me, I think, in life. If you've ever had to go to a funeral of a child, if you ever had to go to a child's funeral, and you say when you sit there, something, this is not right, this, this isn't right, you're exactly right. This is not right. There is something horribly wrong when we have a planet where children at all kinds of sizes and ages are dying before we do. That's not right. I agree with you. That's wrong. That's the picture I wanted to paint with these first two snapshots of time. This is where we are today. This is the true picture of man. Where we were, where we are now. Right here is where we would insert the Christmas story. 
Jim touched on the Christmas story last week. I know Pastor is going to touch on it next week. Sandwiched in between is my story today about the truly the greatest gift of all time. Our mess was so bad that Jesus had to send, or God sent his son down to earth that Jesus came as a baby to this earth. That's how bad our mess was. Only he could come up with a solution for it. He came here as a baby with the sole purpose of heading for that cross where he died on the cross as a sinless man to make the payment for our sin. We insert that story right here. Apart from that, there is no hope in man whatsoever. And hopefully you came to that place in life where you realized at one time at least that you could not make it to heaven on your own. You, you measure up to nothing. You have nothing to offer. And the only hope to get to heaven is to accept Christ as Savior. That's the only hope. He made a perfect death for us, sinless man, paid the penalty, and all that requires is us to two things, to realize we're a sinner, to agree with God. That's what confession is, to agree with, and to accept Christ as say, God, you're the only hope I have to get to heaven. We insert that story right here. And I'm assuming most of you this morning have come to that point in life. If you haven't, you need to get that settled. You need to stop and reflect on that right there. And because of that, we can turn our page and we can see point number three, and this is where we spend most of our time, and that is a fantastic finish. We want to have clear thinking this morning as we think biblically on eternal life, what it really is. Our earthly bodies that we have right now are finite. They have an ending. I noticed that. I'm, uh, I'm 46 years old right now, and I stay in good shape. I, try to, I always try to be in good shape. Uh, but one thing I'm starting to notice, I can still do most of the things I did when I was 20, but the recovery time is a lot more. I mean, I could go play one-on-one basketball with Jim this morning, and after he's done whooping me, it'll take me a lot longer to recover than it would have when I was 20. It'd probably take me a week and a half to recover from a 20-minute basketball game. That's about all it would take for him to get to whatever the score is supposed to be. 100, you get to 120 minutes or less. These bodies are wearing out. And I want to read, I put on your paper, 1 John 3, 2. This is a key verse for our bodies here. As we talk about this, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, and that he is Jesus, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're going to get some new bodies. We're going to get bodies just like Jesus. This is a real body. This is what we want to get to this morning. We don't have some mystical, spiritual place. We're off singing hymns somewhere around some mystical throne. We're going to nail this down this morning to what we really are. We have real bodies. Like Jesus. What kind of body did Jesus have when he rose from the dead? Well, here's a glimpse into it. Remember when he had breakfast with his disciples after his resurrection? They're out fishing because they're being good followers of Christ. They decided to abandon everything and go fishing. They went fishing. Guess who probably talked him into that one? Probably the big mouth fisherman. Hey, let's go. I know. Let's forget all this. Let's go fishing. So they're out fishing. What does Jesus do? He comes, tells them to throw the net on the other side of the boat. It's full of fish. Peter says, that's got to be Jesus. He dives in and he swims to shore. And what does Jesus have for them? He has, a, he has a meal for them, breakfast. Now, I could preach a sermon on that right there. There is so much theology in that one event that took place right there. There is probably a hundred ways Jesus could have made Peter con- extract a confession out of him. What does he do? He cooks them breakfast, sits them down, talks with them, has a campfire. A resurrected body that's able to eat. What a loving God. What a gracious God. He could, have got, he could have made Peter kneel down in some remote area. Peter, I'm God. Get down on your knees. And extracted a confession out of him. He doesn't do that. This is a loving, wonderful Savior 
who had a real body, he was able to eat breakfast with his buddies. That's what you do when you, re- you just finish the greatest event in human history. You have a cookout with your friends. It's amazing. He's able to walk through locked doors. Remember when the disciples were meeting in the room, up, the upper room? They're all scared. They have the doors locked. They don't know what to do. You know, Peter's probably trying to talk him into going fishing again. Jesus shows up, walks through the locked door, and later on, he sits down in a chair. What kind of a body is that? You can appear through a room that's locked up and sit down in a chair? That's, a, that's, a, that's uniquely different. Guess what? That's what we're going to have. We're going to have a body like that. So that's amazing. And it's a sinless body, something we can't even understand, just like Adam and Eve. A sinless, real body, not some spirit floating around trying to go back to earth and communicate with other people. Let's nail this down today. Let's get this straight. Our true glory will be unveiled for all eternity. The sons of God will finally be revealed better than original condition. That's what the scripture tells us. Well, not only man, but the earth itself will be restored. That's Revelation 21. Revelation 21.1 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Funny that John would stick that in there since he's stuck on an island. His biggest prison is the sea. There's no longer any sea. Now, I want you to get this. This is where we do some real Bible study here this morning. That word new in the, in the Greek is kainos. That means new in quality or nature. It does not mean new in time or succession. Okay? If you have a car, and, and as Americans are wont to do, we need to trade it in and get a new one. Take our car, we trade it in. We get a new car. That is new in succession or new in time. If you go to the gym for six months, you come out of the gym after working out with your personal trainer, and you have a new body, that's the word used here. That is new in quality or new in nature, okay? That's important. That's the same word that's used in 2 Peter 2. We're going to spend a little time in 2 Peter, and we're going to read more than verse 13. I'm going to read you 2 Peter not two, but three. 2 Peter chapter 3. And let me read you. I'm going to start at verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. And here comes our verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. That's the same word right there. It means new in quality, not new in time. Okay? The earth is purified with this fire. Now, you have to put into context these men... John, Peter, Paul, they're called to describe the indescribable. They have the unenviable task of trying to put into words things that they're seeing in these visions that really are beyond, how would you describe something like that? How would Shakespeare describe an atomic bomb and the space shuttle? Could he put it in words that his, his fellow people would understand? I mean, it would be tough, wouldn't it? There's things that are going to happen in technology beyond our years that I, how would you describe something like that? These guys have a a task of trying to put this into words. And Peter paints an ominous picture here of what's happening. But I believe that this fire that God sends is going to reveal the true nature of this earth. He's going to remove all the scars of mankind. Let's face it. 
the things that are not good on earth are not God-made. Everything on earth that's good is from God. The things that are bad are from man. This fire is going to purify the earth. It's going to put it back new in quality. And every scar of mankind, I believe, will be completely removed from this earth. The atmosphere has to change because we're no longer going to have storms and hurricanes, and that's all going to have to change too. And God does this wonderful work, changes all of that stuff. And I want you to compare destroyed. We're going to look at that in here in 2 Peter. Compare the word destroyed in verse 10 and verse 6. Let's go back to verse 6. Well, I'm going to back it up to 5. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. That would be the flood of Noah. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. That word destroyed is the same word that Peter uses later on. The earth was not destroyed in Noah's flood. The earth, it survived. The earth was cleansed in Noah's flood. Every trace of mankind was removed, was taken away, and God went right back to just good stuff. That's the picture that Peter is painting here, that the earth, that word destroyed is also better translated here, I think, revealed. The true nature of the earth will be revealed through that. In other words, God's going to restore everything back to the way it was. I always get, don't you get sad a little bit when you think about everything you love about earth, it's going to be totally destroyed? Did it ever bother you just a bit? It's going to burn. It's all going to be destroyed. I don't see that picture in Scripture. I see a change. I see a dramatic change. But I don't see that everything that we thought about earth is completely destroyed. It wasn't, the earth was not destroyed in Noah's time. And I don't think it's going to be, I think it's going to be drastically changed in some dramatic way that God's going to do. Well, Let's jump ahead to Revelation now. Heaven and God himself descend to this new earth. This is the great picture we have in Revelation 21, 9 to 21, of the new heaven coming down to earth. And we'll read just a little bit of that in Revelation 21, 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high. Now, there's a mountain on the new earth. So right, right now I know there's still creation here. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Here again, we have a writer trying to describe something that's indescribable. But heaven is going to come down and descend on this new earth. And this is a beautiful picture here. We think about this city. This is the new Jerusalem where God himself will now dwell with men. Your imagination is still running, right? It's probably spinning in circles. But here comes heaven descending on a new earth that God did. And you have a new body in this new heaven. And God will dwell with man face to face. Can you imagine such a thing? Actually, you'll be able to see God face to face in this new city. Now, this city is huge. The size is described there is It's 1,480 square miles approximately. That's almost the size of Rhode Island. That's the size of this city. And, it's a, and the, this, this chapter goes on to describe the city in, in incredible ways, but we're not going to spend time looking at that. But we're going to look at a couple of things. We notice we are not limited to this city. That's, that's important to me anyway. We are not limited to this city. Revelation 21, 24 to 26. And it says this, The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor. Who are the kings of the earth at this time? Well, that's us. We are reigning with God. We are the sons of God. We're truly revealed. 
and we will bring splendor into this city. There's this thought of coming in, coming out. Notice what else it says. It says in this verse here, and no one will, its gates will never be shut. On no day will its gates ever be shut. There's a city with gates wide open. There's no, no threat of danger. Its gates are wide open. It also says this. It says, glory and honor of the nations we brought into it. Glory and honor of the nations we brought into it. Here's a picture that I believe God's painting of this city that on this new earth where we will come and go. I believe if you want to stay there and see God, you'll see God. You can explore the earth, you can explore the earth. But I believe there's a picture of nations bringing glory and honor into it. And why do I bring that up? I believe that if you have a picture of heaven being some boring eternal sing-along, I believe we have a picture here of a new earth created back the way God intended it to be with a real body. God dwells with men in this incredible city. It's, we can't even imagine this thing on a new earth where we come and go and we do whatever we do, we bring splendor back into it. We bring glory back to God. Did you ever notice that each one of us have something that we enjoy different than everybody else? I mean, we all have our little, some of y'all like to read and stuff like that. I never do that, never. I wanna do stuff. I'm, not, I'm a doer, I'm not a reader. But God made each one of us with something that we enjoy specifically. God made us that way. We were born that way with these interests. And I believe those interests and desire will carry into the new earth. Could there be anything better than whatever your interest is, whatever it is, that you bring glory to God with it at the new earth? It'll be incredible. It'll be amazing. Matter of fact, the Bible says it's beyond our minds to comprehend it. Just want to throw that out there. That's what this is. I believe we're not contained to this city. I believe we'll come and go. And we'll honor God with whatever we do. And I want you to notice this too. Creation has been waiting in eager anticipation which has been waiting in that, is restored along with man. The animal kingdom is finally liberated from its bondage. I believe the picture that Isaiah is painting in Isaiah 11, 6 through 9, is where he says the lion will lay down with the lamb. That's the messianic kingdom. I believe that extends right into the new earth. The lion lays down with the lamb. Can you imagine such a thing? Or animals do not rip each other apart, or they don't try to rip you apart. I mean, I like seeing nature sometimes, but it's good. Like, I like going to the zoos and stuff. But I'm really glad when I get to the tiger cage that there's, there's bars there. Because, you know, we had that incident a couple of years ago where the one jumped up over the wall. And can you imagine an animal? I thought about this before. An animal, what animal in the zoo would, 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 would react that way to taunting except a tiger? I mean, is there any, I mean, if you taunted a grizzly bear, he'd probably just go back to sleep. But a tiger, that thing, it, it got so mad, it's okay, that's it. And it tried to find a way to get out of there to get those guys that, that supposedly were taunting it. Now, that's a horrible thing. But that is going to end. When Jesus comes back and the animal kingdom is set back the way it was, that's not going to happen anymore. I'm, I could go up to a lion, and we will actually subdue and rule animal kingdom. Can you imagine running your fingers through a lion's mane and no fear at all? That's the picture that Isaiah paints for us in Isaiah chapter 11. It's incredible. Now, we're going we're gonna to wrap this all up with a point at the end, okay? But I'm painting this. You got your imaginations going, right? Okay, because I know how you all are thinking about lunch. Oh, here pretty soon it'll be done. Eagles are on today. I know you're not doing that. A perfect paradise is restored. Revelation tw chapter 22. We're going to read a few verses here. Revelation 22, 1 to 2. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. That's an awful lot like Eden. There's a river flowing through this city, just a lot like Eden. It's an awful lot like it. Verse 2. The tree of life reappears. 
We presented the case earlier that there was a tree of life, and this, the Bible tells us in the, new in, the, in the new earth, in the new heaven, there will be a tree of life. I'm not sure what all that means. I'm not going to get into it, but it's there again. And it's a wonderful picture that God's restoring mankind to the way he intended it to be. And look at this, verse 5. You've got to see verse 5. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun or the Lord. God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. They will reign. That's us. Now, I want you to get this picture now. Wrap it all up. Here we have God. If we accepted Christ as our Savior, God's giving us a new body, an incredible body, a body that we can't even imagine. Right? He's taking creation, restoring it back to the way it was. There's a new earth revealed, cleaned, cleansed, totally different than what it is. This incredible city that drops down, the size of, the size of Rhode Island. It's incredible. Gates are always open. Sons of the earth will bring splendor into it, worship God, whatever we're doing. I think it's so incredible. We can't even conceive it. And we will reign with him. It's good. It'd be great just to be there, wouldn't it? I, I would be there and sit in the corner. You know, what was that song we used to sing? Give me, a, give me a cabin in the corner. Remember that? Give me just a cabin. Remember that song? That is not the picture of what we're going to do. Give me a cabin in the corner of glory land. That's not, that's not biblical. It's a great song, but that's not what it says. We will reign with him. Now, what all does that mean? I don't know. I'll be honest with you, but it's exciting. It's not just exist and be a servant and be a robot and sing hymns forever and ever. Amen, amen. That's not what it is. That's not a biblical picture if that's what you have in heaven. And here's some thoughts to take home, and this is what this is all about. The only reason we brought all this up is for these thoughts right here. Christ's death on the cross provides us with more than escape from hell and help in life's trials. Those are great things. Those are super fantastic things. God gives us salvation if we accept him to escape the fires of hell and to give us help on earth. And we need that, don't we? We need that every day. But it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. He also gives us a new body, a new earth, and we will reign with him forever. I got to tell you, if that doesn't get you a little bit excited, you better take your spiritual pause. There should be some excitement and anticipation there. The older I get, the more I realize how wonderful this place is, the more I study this book. And I could have brought up a lot more verses than these to talk about what's coming. And here's the purpose behind that. When we have a proper view of the life to come, this present day begins to fade into insignificance. We should have a new sense of urgency in proclaiming the good news and plugging into God's plan for our life. We only get one chance to store up true riches. When the truth of this starts to sink into our lives, we realize that all this stuff that we spent so much time on, and I'm guilty as much as anybody, we try to make this our heaven. We get our retirement plans set up, our nest eggs. We get our homes fixed up. We get the third car in a driveway. We go get a flat screen TV. We've got, we have so many things today. Could you imagine Julius Caesar? Imagine, I mean, you think you're not rich. Think of Julius Caesar. Could he ever say, amuse me? No, you bore me. You amuse me now. I'm cold. Could you imagine? See, we, we are so rich, Caesar couldn't even imagine what we have. We spent so much time trying to get these kingdoms set up that we forget about the kingdom to come. Could it be that our desires for heaven aren't there because we're so busy trying to make this our heaven? Mm, I think so. I think I'm guilty of that. I try to make this my heaven. My focus is not always on the things to come. But when it is, I start to realize I've got to get plugged into what God has. There's some things that need done here. And somehow God's going to take all that we do here, all these rewards that we get, and it plays into this 
new earth. I'm not even going to get into all that, but God says he's going to provide this system of blessings and new, I mean, I don't know how that plays out, but there is riches to store up in heaven. There is rewards that we'll hand out. Some of us need to get plugged into God's work. Some of us got saved, and if we plotted it on a graph, we flatlined from that point on. We need to get plugged in. This is only one chance. There's no other chance. Number three, our eternal life will never be stale or boring. Man, if you thought heaven was going to be boring like I used to think, I think it's going to be nothing like that. This new earth is, this new earth is going to be way better than it is now. I, I love going out in creation now. I can't imagine what it's going to be like then. Can you imagine this new earth? What if God creates like 27 Yellowstone parks? You go out there and you find these things and you come back and you bring your glory back to God and say, God, I found this thing that you made. This is unbelievable. I can't even imagine that. That's probably some of the things we will do. It'll never be boring. Never be boring. And the Bible says no mind can completely conceive the things that are coming. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive. We can't even picture it. As we use our imaginations this morning, some of you for the first time in a long time, we can't even, we can't even picture the things that are to come. It's that incredible. And number four is, a, is a, I think, a key point for us here this morning. When we fail to place proper focus on the life to come and are consumed by the here and now, we make a nothing of eternity and an eternity of nothing. The things we get so focused on today, I mean, I get worried about raises and paychecks and bills and all that. That stuff, 10,000 bazillion years from now on the new earth will be meaningless, nothingness. I worry about going hunting and putting effort into these things that I enjoy doing and hiking and it's all useless in the next life, meaningless. When we don't think about eternity in the proper way, we make a nothing of eternity. It's not even important to us. Never mentioned, some of you probably never thought of this new earth, you probably, maybe you've never thought of it. If you did, you haven't thought of it in months or years or who knows how long. We need to have the proper focus on where we're headed. And number five, I want to tell you that this things we've been talking about today, this is only for believers in Christ. This is the only people that are going to be here. If you never came to a point this morning where you accepted Christ as your Savior, realizing that that's your only chance to get to heaven, you need to do that and get that settled this morning. Nobody else is here except believers. I saw there was a speaker my wife told me about on TV she watched a little bit of. He was saying that the, the church is built on a false, a false pretense that uh, all people will go to heaven eventually. They'll pay their penalty in, in hell, and then they'll go to heaven later on. I've got to tell you, the Bible doesn't say that. There's no place in there. I've ever, I would love to tell you that. I would love that if you paid your penalty for so long and eventually you get in. It doesn't say that. It says, for, it says eternal, forever, separation. Well, what are you anticipating, folks? Seriously. Do we anticipate death and the life to come? Really? Do we really look forward to it or do we dread it? I got to tell you, as a Christian, this changes everything. This is the true Christmas story of gift. Jesus is the greatest gift because salvation is the greatest gift. Salvation is the greatest gift because of eternal life. Your eternal life will be incredible, incredible through Christ. I, I, we can't even conceive all that it is. But if you think that it was going to be stale, boring, and eternal sing-along, or you'd have some spiritual body and you're not quite sure where you're headed, you can, you can throw that aside this morning. It's not going to be anything like that, I don't believe. I believe, hey, if you like singing hymns, I believe you'll be able to sing whenever you want to. Probably be enough of you up there to get together and sing all the time. Probably quite a group that wants to do that. I probably won't want to do that all the time. Once in a while, I'll join you all. But this should change your life dramatically. Dramatically change the way we look for heaven, eternal life, and the way we serve. 
We only get one chance to serve him, and then it's all gone. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. We start off this morning thinking about where we were and what we deserve, and I have to say that we deserve much more opposite than what we get. You're so great. I thank you for your son that you sent at Christmas time. Came to earth as a baby. We can't even understand that, how he would lower himself to come to earth. And we can't even understand how the creator of the universe would be willing to go to a cross for our sins and pay that penalty and be abused and beaten and crucified for people like us. And Lord, I do not personally understand why you would make eternal life for us. It's total grace that you would reach down and provide these wonderful things for our future, Lord. Lord, may it change our lives the way we live. May we truly think about eternity correctly. May we realize that God never intended this to be heaven and that there's work to do here. And these things coming quickly, I believe coming soon, should motivate us to do things for you, to be witnesses for you, to live our lives showing that we have a greater hope than those that are lost. Help us to be those kind of Christians this morning, this week, the rest of our lives as we go out into the world. Help us to be witnesses for you. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for all that you do. I pray for safety for everyone here as we head home and, and the roads are not the best. I pray for safety and protection. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.